I want you to open your Bible with me in uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And uh, we had Father's Day last week and uh, great time, great celebration of fathers. Uh, and uh, the week before I was speaking on generosity and uh, some of you were there, some of you weren't there. I, want to, I felt the Lord put on my heart to continue on the theme of generosity today. And uh, so we'll start where we finished last week and uh, just pick up a couple of the key thoughts there. So if you weren't there last uh, time when I shared on this, you can just catch it up quite quickly. So John chapter 12, six days before the feast of Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. And Martha served, and Lazarus was one who sat at table with him. Then Mary took a pound of costly ointment of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his head with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why didn't they sell this fragrant oil for 300 denarii, that's uh, a denarii is a day's wage, and given it to the poor? And he said this not because he cared for the poor. He implied he cared for the poor, but he didn't. He said rather he was a thief. But he gave out that he cared for the poor. But he was really a thief. And he had the money box and he used to steal what was put in it. The offerings that were put in, he was stealing them. And Jesus said, leave her alone, she's kept this day for the day of my burial. And Jesus commended her. So we saw uh, that generosity is unlimited. You can be as generous or as mean as you choose. You can be as mean. It's a choice. And Mary, because she was grateful, she was deeply grateful. Her brother had died. They'd gone to the burial service. They'd buried him. They'd mourned. They'd had the wake. He was dead and buried, and four days had gone by. There's no show of him ever coming back again. And she was still in a stage of grieving. Jesus came and brought life into a desperate and hopeless situation. Lazarus rose from the dead, much to everyone's amazement. There's no one can do that except God. And so her heart was deeply touched out of gratitude. What can I give for all he's given to me? And so she took out something worth thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, 300, you imagine 300 days wages, I don't know what you get a day, but you just multiply that by, by $100 a day, and 300 times 100, looking at $30,000, we took a very expensive offering here. She just extravagantly put it out all over Jesus. And you notice that when people give extravagantly, a number of things happen. The first thing that happened was the house was filled with the atmosphere. There's something about generosity that creates a very sweet fragrance. There's something about generosity with no agendas that is very sweet. When people give and there's nothing, they're in it for themselves, they've just given unexpectedly to you, then there's something sweet about it. Giving, generous giving. You know, we come into church and we come and we just drag ourselves in and then it takes us half an hour to get warmed up. That's not a very, very nice atmosphere. but, But when we come in and, oh God, you're so good to me, I just want to give something, and we begin to give them something, Oh, there's a lovely atmosphere. It's a great atmosphere when people give God the best. And so that's what you do. But also, generosity generosity usually flows out of a heart of gratitude. Uh, The next thing about generosity, generosity usually exposes greed. Coveting is when I don't have something and I want something I haven't got. But greed is when I've got something, I want more of it. And Judas was greedy. And he wanted more money. And so generosity often exposes greed. I can, rem- <laughs> I can remember uh, we're in a situation where uh, one of our friends uh, was, uh, had made a decision to go on a missions trip and 
And I just decided straight away we're going to give him some money. We didn't have much money at that stage, but I felt God give me a figure uh, to give to him. I gave it to him. I said, look, I'd love to sow this into you. Well, there was this deathly silence in the room, and then suddenly someone else erupted. I thought, whoa, what is that? And actually what was happening was he didn't, this is the thing, he did not think it was fair that he should be given the money. It was my money to give. I just gave because I felt God tell me to. But this guy thought it's not fair or right for him to get it. He doesn't deserve it. See, what kind of thing is that? Actually, what he's thinking is, I deserve that. So generosity flushes out hard attitudes. I'm sure before the end of it today that someone's hard attitude will be flushed. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. So generosity, notice this, is a reward in unexpected ways. Now, when Mary came out and she gave this, uh, poured out this thing, I bet she wasn't thinking this, that I want to become famous in history. I want to become the woman that everyone and every nation of the earth for all time remembers and knows I'm generous. I don't think there was any of that in the heart at all. It wasn't there at all, was it? She just gave because she loved, she was grateful. You know what happened? The unexpected reward is everywhere you preach the gospel, her name is mentioned and what she did is mentioned. What's mentioned is not her prayers. What's mentioned is her generosity. And said her generosity be remembered. Why is this? Why am I on about this generosity? Because, let me, let me put it really simply. The Bible tells us God is love. It doesn't say he's power. God is love. And you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. So, the greatest way we express the love of God to people is when we can be generous and kind to them with no agenda. That's when people see God because that's what God is like. You see the power? Yes, that's great too. But the, the love of God gives something to people that's just touched by God. So I want to just talk some more on generosity today. And so firstly, I want to share this. Generosity is the practical outworking of being right with God. How many people here know that you are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ? How many know that? Oh, glory to God. We all know that. We're well established. We're Pentecostals and we're established in the truth that we are right with God. Now, here's the thing. For most of us, our thinking is this is about a legal stand with God. Wouldn't that be right? We think, well, when we say the word righteous, we think that what that means is I'm in right standing with God by the work that Jesus did for me. And if you think that, you're correct. However, if you only think that, then that's very limiting on what biblical righteousness means. So yes, it's true that we are in right standing with God by what Jesus did, his gift to us. That brings us to right standing. But for the Hebrews and the whole nature of the covenantal relationship with God, to be right with God not meant that you just didn't have any sins currently going with him. It meant you were living out your covenantal relationship with God. In other words, it always had an overflow in your life some way. In other words, for a Hebrew and the Hebrew thinking about being righteous was not that I have a legal position with God, now I can live my life the way I like. It means I have a standing with God that now overflows in a way of living that was different to before. And we tend to just focus that I'm made right with God and now I've got no responsibilities in this covenant. And that's not really true. I am made right with God by faith and by faith alone. But being right with God, there now needs to be an overflow that demonstrates the rightness with God is real. And the way that shows is generosity. Oh, oh, quiet. 
Very quiet. Well, let's have a look at a couple of scriptures on that. We'll start with a couple of Old Testament ones, then we'll look at a couple of New Testament ones. Uh, just, uh, just Psalm 112 verse 9. Psalm 112 verse 9. Look at this. And so just to show you firstly in the Old Testament, but I'll show you it's established in the New as well. Uh, Psalm 112 and verse 9. Here it is. I want you to see the connection between being right with God and being generous. And uh, Psalm 112 and verse 9. There it is. No, I've got it wrong. Where is it? Psalm 112. 112 and verse 9. Here it is. He has dispersed to the poor, to abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Notice the connection between giving to the poor and being a righteous person. Let's have a look again in another scripture. Psalm 37 and verse 21. Psalm 37 and verse 21. Here it is again. A strong connection. It says, The wicked borrows and doesn't pay back. But the righteous, look what the righteous do. The righteous show mercy and give. So a righteous person is actually, you can tell a righteous person. Not because they go to church and carry a Bible and pray long prayers or speak in tongues. Righteous person actually does something else, shows mercy and gives. I mean, you can't discount what is written in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 25, have a look at this, when Jesus separates the nations out in a day to come in in Matthew chapter 25. The king shall say to those on his right hand, he's gathered the nations together, sifted them out, come you blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was uh, you gave me food. I was thirsty. You gave me to drink. I was a stranger. You took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick. You visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous, the righteous will say, oh, when do we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you stranger and take you in and naked and clothe you? When do we see you sick in prison and come to you? And he said, assuredly, I say to you, as much as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Notice the connection between being righteous and being kind to the poor. They go hand in hand. Now, would you consider the people of our city are blessed or are they really struggling, not in the blessing of God, but really are actually, from a spiritual perspective, extremely poor? They are. The whole region is extremely poor. shows up in a whole number of ways. But one of the things that God uh, puts in us very clearly to see is that if we are in right standing with him, the way we express it, now I am right with God, what does a right man live like? Did you understand that? It's how does a righteous man live? In other words, now I'm made right by what Jesus did for me and I'm trusting it, now how will I live out that being right with God? What would it look like? I'll go to a prayer meeting. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I'll go to a Bible study. Yeah, that's great. Keep going. Oh, I'll speak in tongues. Oh, that's great too. And there's heaps of things that are great. But the thing the Bible consistently says is that you show mercy and become generous to those who are in need. It's something the church has forgotten. And it needs to have awakened, awakened to it because this is something, as we'll see, that's part of every one of us. So uh, when we look at the word righteous, we tend to think of just our standing with God. But the Hebrew thinking is righteous means a lifestyle outworked because of my standing with God. I looked it up in Wikipedia. Wikipedia is a great place. And the word for a righteous in the Old Testament is sadak, T-S-I-D-A-K. Sadak meaning righteous. And the word generosity or charity or giving to the poor is the word 
tzedakah, and it's got it in Wikipedia. It's there for everyone to know. So the Hebrew word to be right or righteous or right with God in the Old Testament, tzedak, and that means to be right with God. The word generous, giving to the poor, being charitable, being concerned or having compassion and demonstrating it to people in need is the word tzedakah, which means, uh, and this is the thing that uh, Shane brought out very clearly, it means righteousness revealed is generosity. So you can't separate the two from one another. So the Hebrews considered that all our resources belong to God and God has therefore the right to direct our resources. So when I think about the tithe or the first portion of my finances, I always think it doesn't really belong to me anyway. It's something that is God's. And then there's another part of our finances which doesn't belong to us either. It's the part that needs to be given to people in need. And so we allocate and work our finances. I'll share a bit more about another day. But so that we have a first portion always set aside for the Lord and we also have a portion for ourselves. We also have a portion for people in need. And that means we can be generous at any time because we pre-plan generosity according to this is how a righteous man lives. Think about that? Quite good to think about these things, isn't it? So, so, what I, so basically then, we have a portion of our resources which I consider is not mine. I call that the tithe. That doesn't belong to me. I can't spend it on me or mine. I, I believe that it belongs to God and therefore I should put it put for whatever the Lord directs it to into the house of God into the work of God into advancing the kingdom of God we've got another part that doesn't belong to us either and that's the part set aside for people who are poor it actually it's, it's God's provision for them that's why it's not mine but I'm free to be a steward of it and I can just give it to myself or I can give it to people who are poor it's just a choice and so all of us have a choice with the resources we have how we manage them and it's all to do with what you believe about it and how you handle it. Now, I'm not getting into legalism of how much in any of these things because this is always an issue of the heart. And I just find it, Joy and I find it a huge joy to be able to be generous. Be generous because the righteous person is a generous person. Oh, we're getting real quiet now. Come on, tell someone next to you. I know he's talking to you. Come on, listen up. He's talking to you. Free up inside there. Okay then, now I want you to look at another new... Remember, now what we're doing, we're looking at... Because a lot of people look and they think, oh, this is Old Testament. Have a look at this scripture in the New Testament. See what it says in John. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 17. 1 John 3 verse 17. Whoever... Now this is love. We know love. He laid down his life for us and we ought to lay our lives down for our brethren. Because of the example of Jesus and our gratitude, the outworking of that is we give ourselves to people. Now, whoever has this world's goods, it's not talking to a poet, someone who's got something, and sees his brother in need. So it's talking about you having some provision and you see someone in need. Well, of course, what you could do is say, well, the church ought to do something about that. <laughs> the government ought to do something about that. No, actually, you're the one who ought to do something because you've got the goods and you saw the need. It's simple. And so he says, he sees his brother in need and he shuts up his heart from him. Now look at this. How can you say the love of God is in that person? He said, however, let us not love in word nor in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's how you know you're of the truth. And that's how your heart becomes assured. Why? Because when you see people in need, 
there's a sense of feeling moved to want to help and they're getting engaged in helping. And that's how you can assure your heart that you are in the love of God and walking with God because you're a person of generosity and compassion and kindness and you give where there's need. It's your lifestyle. And if I want to abide in the love of God, I've got to abide in loving people. You see, if we separate that I just have a stand with God but no responsibilities to live my life, I become just religiously disconnected from everything that is really important to God. If I think that I can love God but have no expression to people I can see, I'm actually fooling myself. The outworking of my love for God is an overflow towards people. The people next to you can see. God, you can't see. So the overflow of loving God is that when I meet people in need, my heart is moved with compassion to reach them. And reaching them, I am demonstrating the love of God and staying in the flow of the love of God. So, number one, generosity is a practical way you express your right with God. If you want to know how to express your right with God, make a decision and begin to put into practice generosity to people in need in every kind of way. And you'll find yourself walking with God. You can't help but find yourself walking with God because God always seems to be on it somehow. He's on generosity somehow. He's on touching these. Okay, here's the second thing then. Generosity is a lifestyle. I want you to have a look in Deuteronomy 24. Generosity is not just, well, it was great, we had an offering and then we took up some money and there it is, I've done my bit. Now, actually, the church has done amazingly. A couple of Sundays ago, God put it in our heart to, when I preach generosity, to demonstrate generosity. And it wasn't church money, it was our personal money, which we had put aside. Some of it we put aside for this purpose. Some of it we haven't put aside. It was just our money, full stop. But God gave the amount. And so I wanted to demonstrate that we listen to God in the handling of resources and that you can't just talk about it without living it out. You just have to live it out. And so I felt the Lord give me a specific sum, specific uh, thing to, to talk to people about. And I made an undertaking that we would pray for and bless people. Now, it took humility for people to come forward. It's not easy to do that. And there were others in need that didn't come forward. I know that because they had money left over. It's just because we couldn't admit that we really did have a need. It's real hard to do. That takes humility. And so what happened was Ian stood up and then encouraged the church because we could sense that just God was suddenly coming in. His presence just filled the place when we did that. It's in an extraordinary way. I always notice what brings God's presence. And I'm still thinking about that one, that suddenly in a moment of time, uh, all the worship, everything else, the intensity when we started to give to people in need was a far greater than anything we had right through the service. Notice that. I noticed that. I thought, whoa, God liked our worship, but boy, he loved the giving even more. He came even stronger. How about that? You've got to notice things. You've got to notice things. And the church just suddenly responded. And I am very, very, very delighted to be able to say that over $6,000 came up to bless those people. Come on, give yourself a clap. That was amazing. That was just amazing. That was amazing. I know people have that kind of money. I had to go specially to get some, so I have some. Usually if I have some, it's gone, you know. I find someone in need and bless them with it. But uh, this was just brilliant. Anyway, so giving needs to be intense. So that was a one-off kind of thing. But actually, giving needs to become 
Uh, generosity is a lifestyle and God has always intended it to be a lifestyle. I want to just show you in the Old Testament how God makes it very clear. Generosity is actually part of your life and uh, he builds it in, in in more than one place. Let me give you one place. Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19, uh, verse 18. Uh, you remember that you were once a slave in Egypt. You were in bondage to sin and God redeemed you. Do you remember when it was like when your life was miserable in sin and you were tormented and troubled and down and wretched and then God redeemed. God generously paid the price to get you free. It cost you nothing because it cost everything. Well, that was brilliant what, was come, what came out in the offering message. Good on you, Mark. And he said, now this is, therefore I command you to do this. So he said, remember what it was like to be unsaved when your life was in turmoil Remember how God paid the price to get you free. He says, now I command you to do this. Why? Out of gratitude. And whenever God gives a command in the Old Testament, it's because he knows we tend to forget it, but it's a principle that will bring success in life. So here it is. When you reap the harvest of your field, so uh, they were an agricultural community, so to reap the harvest of your field meant they went out into the fields, they took in, and they were getting their income for the year out of their harvest. So they'd have a harvest in certain seasons, they'd get an income at that time. For us today, we're not out there harvesting the fields. We go to work and we receive a wage. So one it says when you harvest your field, it's talking today's equivalent would be when you get a wage, when you get income, when you get something come in. He says this. He says, uh, he says when you reap your harvest in your field, if you get a sheaf in the field, don't go back for the sheaf to get it. It's for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, don't go over it again. Just do it once. Because the, the others that are left on the tree are for the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. And when you gather the grapes from your vineyard, don't glean it afterwards. It'll be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. Three times he said that God is concerned about, firstly, the stranger. The stranger is an unsaved person. So he's saying to his people, make sure you put aside resources from your life to reach the needs of people who don't know Christ. And we'll just look at what that could mean, but it's not just money, more than money. It's actually, as you'll see here, he says, he's talking about your field. In other words, he's saying, don't take everything in your field, leave the corners, leave a part of your harvest deliberately and intentionally available for these people. Number one, the unsaved, that's the stranger. Number two, the fatherless, that's people, uh, solo families, people who are orphaned in various places in, in our nation or in the world, and uh, for the widows. So the widows, the person, there's no husband, there's no provider, the person's in dire straits under immense pressure. God's saying, care for the widows, the fatherless, and the uh, stranger. In other words, and God has never changed. He's still concerned about the unsaved. He's concerned about those who have no father. And we live in a fatherless generation. We've got a whole generation like that. And he's saying to his church, he's saying to his people, be intentional about this as a lifestyle. See, they just had two harvests a year maybe. We get a harvest every week or once a fortnight or a month. So this is for us. It's, it's all about a lifestyle of considering unsaved people and being willing to take what you have in some way, show kindness to people who are unsaved. The stranger was someone from another nation. And the reason we're to show unkindness is very simple, because you yourself were a stranger once. 
because we're so grateful to God. And we say, we well, need to go witnessing to someone, need to share the gospel and whatever. Well, we, the church has a responsibility to do that. But firstly, let's get the motivation. The motivation of sharing the goodness of God is that we have been blessed by God. So when you continue to stay in a place of gratitude and thank, thankfulness, you can intentionally set aside some of your resources for this work of the poor and the unsaved. What that means effectively is sowing into the work of evangelism and sowing into the areas of needs. Now, this could be organised by someone else and you sow into that. It could be part of the church's work and we sow into that. It could be something we're doing overseas or it could be there are people around you that you can work and sow into. That's where God brings strangers to you. You are surrounded by strangers. What portion of your life is available to them? So, putting it another way, don't spend up to the max so you've got no money left to give out and be generous to people at appropriate times. Don't fill up your diary and your schedule so much that you've got no time to build connections with people and relate to them. Don't uh, fill up uh, your, your own household with so much busyness you've got no room to show hospitality to people and bring them into your home. So every part of our life, we can leave a portion of it so unsafe people or those in need can share it. We've always bought houses. The first question we asked was, how will this help us in the work of the Lord? And will it meet all the needs of our kids? And we've been amazed how God led us to places. Everyone had this in common. They were big and had plenty of room and we could have lots of people in. I love it. I'm so glad we did it. I've never regretted that. At times it's difficult and challenging, but it doesn't matter because it's part of a lifestyle. Bigness is to do with your heart and your lifestyle. Now, you may have a very little house, but you can have a big heart and have someone in there. You, you may have very little money coming in, but you can have a big heart and include someone in what you've got. You may not have anything very much nice in your home, but you can open your home and have someone come in. And you know what I found? The most poor people with so little are so generous. In fact, some of the most generous people I've found in third world who've got very little, but they've got a big heart, and what they have got, they share with you. Have you noticed that? And the more materialistic we get, the, more, the less generous we often get. Something's wrong. That's because the spirit of mammon can get a hold of your heart and it becomes more about me and what I've got than about actually God's desire and heart to reach the world. You've got a house, bring someone unsaved into it. Get them home for a meal. Have a barbecue. Bring some Christian friends. Find some ways that you can make portions in your life available for those who don't know Jesus or those who are in need. Bring them in. You've got a meal. Bring someone home, a solo parent, bring them home. So you notice it, don't consume everything. He's saying don't consume everything. Now there's two things about it here. Number one is the motive, here it is. Uh, verse 22, the motive, you remember you were once a slave and I redeemed you. Or putting it another way, remember you were totally in bondage, you were on your way to hell and I paid a full price, the most expensive price to pull you out of that state and get you where you are. That's why you do it. Gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude, 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 being thankful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I can't understand anyone coming to church and will say, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I am so blessed. I am so blessed. Thank you, Jesus. And here's the other reason you could do it too. And that is because God, will, he promises he will bless you. Because the most, most of us think the same way. If I give something away, I won't have enough left. And that's fear. There won't be enough for me. And so he says, he says, I command you to do the same because, verse uh, verse 19 and verse 19 the Lord, that the Lord may bless you in all the work of your hands so God says if you make this a lifestyle everything you do will be touched by God how about that 
make it a lifestyle, everything you do will be blessed by God. Isn't that something else? Okay then, so there's one example there, it's a lifestyle. Here's another one. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 14. I won't go into these too much, just touch on them so you see them there. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 28 and 29. And uh, there it is. At the end of every third year, you'll bring out the tithe of your produce for that year, store it up within your gates, and the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance, and the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied. So the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Notice again, they were commanded on every third year, one of the tithes, they had more than one tithe, they had a tithe for the house of God, they had a tithe for themselves, and that tithe for themselves every third year was given to the poor. Or, in other words, what that amounts to, it amounts to one-third of one-tenth. So one-thirtieth. So if you got a wage this week, $100, one-thirtieth of it, you give and put aside, especially for the blessing of those who are poor. Now, wonderful. That's how we've done it. We just open up an account, thirtieth of everything I get goes in there, and sometimes more. It's quite simple. Then it begins to accumulate and grow up, and there are some other uh, things we receive, and it all goes there. It just all goes there, so we can do this. See, so you notice here, this was actually scheduled into the lifestyle of the people of God in the Old Testament. Why would it not be in the New Testament? It would be even more in the New Testament, wouldn't you think? It would be even larger in the New Testament. So in 2 Corinthians 9, we read it this morning, and here it is. Let's have a look at 2 Corinthians 9, and it's the same kind of, same sort of principle there. Same sort of principle. Intentional, intentional. Here it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. Now, I thought it necessary to exhort you to go ahead of time to prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously undertaken to give, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity, not some kind of duty or obligation. So what he's saying is, I don't want to come up and take up an offering and have you under emotional pressure. I want you just to have a think about how God is speaking to you and how generous you want to be. The interesting thing with generosity, uh, there's no limit to generosity. You can choose how generous you are. It's something you choose to become. Now, of course, you can also hear the voice of God and you can also be moved by compassion. So I found that for, for us, the movers, the movers that we have when it comes to generosity are very simple. One, we hear the voice of God. So... When we have anything big, we always hear the voice of God. And here's the most thing, here's the one thing. I, I don't hear the Lord clearly on a lot of matters, but when it comes to giving, we just click like that. Joe and I both get the same amount every time. Every time. I just kind of hide it, so I'm like, just thinking God's put an amount into me. What do you think it is? And she'll tell me, oh, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. You know, and, and that's how we work. So number one, we hear, hear the voice of God. Two, compassion. Sometimes... I just see someone and I feel my heart move. If I'm here, my heart move, I don't need any more. Just if the heart moves, I sense my heart stirred. Now, I'm not foolish in that because I remember the Lord speaking to me one time when I was overseas about professional beggars and the manipulation of emotions. And he said, in those situations, you need to just hear from me. And so I learned how to say no as well as say yes. So one is hearing voice of God. And then the other is just the, the decision to practice generosity and to practice enlarging. Hey, have a meal, put an extra bit out and have someone else in. Really quite simple. You know, you've got a celebration, bring a few extra people in. Have a barbecue, put a few bit more in and bring some more people in. And you go and do something, take someone with you. Go to the beach, get someone in your car with you. That's why we always have big cars, big family, but then we'd always bring someone with us as well. Jam them in. Those days you didn't need all those car seats. But uh, however, you can't do that today. It's a bit more difficult. We should just jam them. 
jam them in. It was loaded with people. <laughs> so, so there it is. So number one, we saw there, uh, it's, a, it's a practical expression of being right with God. Number two, it's a lifestyle. Number three, uh, not just a lifestyle. Number, th- uh, number three here is that it has no selfish agenda. Let me finish with this one here, which we started with a couple of weeks ago, Luke chapter 6. Let me just finish with this one here, Luke 6. This is such an important one. Luke chapter 6. You know this verse because you've probably heard it hundreds of times from someone standing up on the platform here. Here it is here. Verse 38. Give and it shall be given to you. Whoa, that's a good verse, isn't it, eh? And pressed down, shaken together, running over, be put in your bosom. Same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Now the first thing you've got to realize is that though often this is preached in the area of money, actually it's not just referring to money. And secondly, it's not referring to doing something so you can get something. God wants us to understand that generosity is to be a part of our life. Generosity is the evidence of God's grace on your life. Grace is His goodness, His love, His empowerment, His his blessing. Now, notice this. If you go back there, he's talking there, he says in verse, uh, say we just uh, say verse um, 31, as you want men to do to you, do likewise to them. In other words, treat people as you'd like to be treated. If you love those who love you, what credit... Now, that word credit is a poor translation. The word is grace. Grace. If you love those who love you, what grace is on your life? If you do good to those who do good to you, what grace is on your life? In other words, many people give because they feel they have an obligation to. Someone's done something for them, therefore they've got to do something back. So they give out of obligation. There's no grace when there's obligation. Second thing you notice, he says, he said, if you, uh, but if you lend to those whom you receive nothing back, if you, and you hope to receive something back, what grace is on your life? Even sinners do that. Sinners lend to sinners. Sinners do good to sinners. Sinners love those who love them. He says, look, there's no grace. Now, the thing about us is we're not under law. We're under grace. The goodness, the kindness, the generosity, the abundant extravagance of God. Oh, how we need grace. You need so much grace because without that, we come under, you live under laws. You know, and God wants to understand the fullness of His grace. Now, He's saying here, if you, if I just give and I'm wanting something back out of that, I'm giving, expecting return. He said, there's no generosity of grace on your life for that. Sinners will do that. If, if I lend and I'm wanting to get something back, He said, there's something in this for me that's a self-centered agenda. There's no grace when there's a selfish agenda. There's no grace when there's duty or obligation. If you do it because you have to, which the law requires, you have no grace on your life. So you've got to make a decision when you, when whatever giving I give, whatever good I'm putting, and whatever else I'm doing, I've got to make a decision inside about my heart in doing this thing. Either do it and do it gladly and do it 110% or don't do it at all. Funny thing, when I sell people that, they say, oh, I won't do it at all then, which shows... Uh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised because their heart wasn't right in the first place. I think it's still better to do good and then let God help you on your motivation than to not do good and have a bad motivation. But it's better if we have a great motivation. So I've just learned if you're going to give, give and put your heart with 110% into it and then the 10% extra you put in is what brings grace into it. That's why I said, if they tell you go a mile, go two miles. Why? And the one mile was required by the law. The second mile, they were not to take you, the Roman soldiers were not to make you go a second mile. So if you went a second mile, you are now putting them in debt to you. The grace was in it. 
So if someone makes you do something for this much, do a little extra and the grace has gone into it now and you are totally empowered because you have put something in that wasn't required. Do you ever notice you ask someone to do something and they do it reluctantly? They only do about 80% of it. And the way to change 80% is to make it 110%. Put a little bit extra you weren't required to do and now you are fully empowered and you've become a generous giver. It's a, it's a matter of decision. See, and so Jesus said very clearly, he reinforced this much of giving. Now, it's not, only about, it's not only about money. Notice how he extends it. He says, your father is merciful. Be merciful. Give mercy to people. Give mercy to people. Didn't God give you some mercy? Give mercy to people. Don't judge them. He says, they said, don't judge. He said, don't condemn people. Now, it's clear, you can't get it clearer than that. Show mercy to people. Don't judge them. Don't condemn them. Don't put them down. Don't write them off. Don't speak about them. Don't criticize them. Don't do those things, he's saying. Eh? Forgive people. So notice what he's saying. Sow out mercy and forgiveness and get over all the stuff of looking what's wrong in people's lives. In other words, be a generous person. See, a generous person gives when people don't deserve it. That's what makes it generous. If you deserved it, then you've worked for it. You're entitled to it. But if you don't deserve it and you get it, that's what grace is. That's what grace is. And so God wants us to have grace on our hearts so we can give to people, whether they deserve it or not. He says, no, he says, because here's the consequence of it. There are two things he says. Number one, number one, there is a reward. You don't have to be afraid that if you're generous to people, you're too generous. I think you were too generous. How can you be too generous? Too mean, maybe, but too generous. How can you be too generous? What happens? Too fearful, maybe. He said, don't be fearful if you're generous because you can be sure of this, that God will abundantly reward you. So when he says, given, it'll be given to you, it's to take away the fear of giving not to create a motive of giving so you can get something. God wants us just to learn how to be generous givers so you can give, not wanting anything. Because he said, well, if I'm, if I'm giving without getting anything back, I remember doing that. I remember giving for a while there. And I'm waiting. So I'd seen that scripture, given it'll be given to you. Okay, I've given now. Let's see it. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. I got ticked off. I thought, well, that's it. You know, it doesn't work. You know, and I realized, and God spoke to me said, your motive is completely wrong. So, you know, you just give in trying to get something. You were like that before you were saved. Now you're saved. He said, I want you to learn how to give and give generously and give loving. Give, give out of a glad heart. Give out of a thankful heart. And what if they don't deserve it? Does it matter? Because he's kind to the, to the just and the unjust. You see, we've got this measuring system whereby if someone deserves it, we'll bless them and help them to them. If they don't deserve it, we won't. That's the world system, by the way. God's kind to everyone. When you were a sinner, he was kind to you and sent Jesus to die on the cross. Somehow we've got this thing that we're the blessed people and no one else gets blessed by God. You want to have a look at a few people that are under blessing. There are lots of things going good in their life. Now think about it. Just think about it. God's grace is abundant grace. It's a generous grace. We need to get out of meanness and smallness and start to learn how to give. Give kindness. Give confidence. Give praise. Give your time. Give your talent. Learn how to become generous with people. Generous with people. And when you're generous with people, your reward will be great. Here's the second thing. You will be the sons of the Most High God, sons of your Father. Now, most people look and they say, Christians are hypocrites. How many heard that one? Well, there's hypocrites outside the church as well as ones in it. There's nothing new about being a hypocrite. But here's one thing you can't mistake. 
He said, when you give and there's no agenda in it, you're not a hypocrite. You're so sincere, people can't work you out. There's got to be a hitch. There's got to be a string. There'll be some test. No, 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 no. Actually, that's what the kingdom is like. God's good to everyone, whether they're good or not. See, so if we're going to move towards engaging our community, the first thing we have to do is enlarge our heart to become generous. And to be able to give, and what if they don't come to Christ? Oh, that was wasted time. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. You gave and sowed your time and God knows how to restore it and redeem it to you. The issue is not what happened in them. The issue is you doing something God wants you to do. Being kind to people and sowing time into people, connecting with people, uh, investing in people, encouraging people, uh, uh, showing hospitality to people. It's about us doing that. Now, if we haven't got enough for ourselves, there's little overflow. And if we think people need to deserve it before we'll give it, then we haven't, we're, we're, there's no overflow either. We need to come into a place of grace. God is good to us. Can you say amen to that? God is good to us. I'll just stop just there.